Hi folks, John Curry here. Welcome to another episode of John Curry's Secure Retirement Podcast. Uh, I've been looking forward to today because I'm sitting across the table from my friend Tom Flanagan. Many of you know Tom because of his work at FSU, WFSU Radio. I know Tom because I see him working at places like the Economic Club, uh, Capital Tiger Bay, uh, and sitting here at the table, Tom, we discovered that we met each other a long, long time ago, uh, when, back in your uh, Centel cellular, excuse me, Centel uh, telephone days. But Tom, welcome. Well, thank you, John. It's so great to be with you here today. I would like for you to, instead of me trying to tell people what you do, please take a few minutes and just tell folks what it is you do at WFSU Radio and how you got started there and why you keep on doing it. Well, what happened uh, was serendipity for sure, John. 2006, out of a job, impoverished, destitute, and uh, not altogether happy with life, I stumbled across a reporter position at WFSU Radio. And this picked up a career thread that I had started between 1973 and, ooh, roughly, I guess, 1987, when I had been full-time in the broadcast biz on the commercial side of the radio ledger. Then stepped away for several years to do, oh, corporate communications, as you mentioned back in the Centel days, I did public relations work for those guys, and then also a stint with Visit Florida. But having lost the Visit Florida job, finding myself at uh, loose ends for approximately 18 months as far as a full-time job was concerned, I stumbled upon a reporter's position at WFSU prior to the 2006 legislative session, went back in as a reporter and then became the news director and ultimately wound up with the position I have today, which is program director for news. I'm not still really sure what it means, but uh, on a practical day-to-day basis, what it entails is to provide general oversight to the news department that we have on the radio side. Also work with the folks on TV. And just like your podcast, we are now multi-platform. So we are online on all of our news stories and other content that we provide. And I try to be an internal consultant for some of the, shall we say, less seasoned folks within the news department who may not remember that a guy named Hurley Rudd used to be a city commissioner here in Tallahassee, or the fact that uh, there was actually a governor before Charlie Crist in Florida. So (laughs) I try to help those folks out as much as I can. So what you're telling me is you're taking advantage of your being a more senior in age and sharing that wisdom with people. Yeah, we're, we all go down the same road, John. I am <laughs> just maybe a couple paces farther along than most. I understand that. As, as I'm getting more mature myself, I'm realizing that's the case. You made a comment earlier when we were having lunch, getting ready for this uh, podcast, about an advisory council. I found that to be intriguing. Would you share with our listeners... What's happening there? Sure, because in public broadcasting, it is really critical that you connect to a wider audience than perhaps just your programming might warrant. And let me just elaborate on that for a second. You're going to have a natural audience depending on what kind of programming you put on the air or online. If you're really, really into current events, news of the day, all that sort of thing. You may gravitate towards WFSU radio because that's essentially all that we have on the air, both from NPR and also from our local kinds of sources that 
uh, we provide like our news that we do here locally. But you also want to find out where else can we take this? And so it's important to have a direct connection to the community beyond what you, you had said, I'm running around shoving microphones up people's noses at all kinds of venues around town and local government meetings and that sort of thing. So a couple years ago, our management, uh, who is David Mullins, our general manager, and Kim Kelling, my immediate boss, who's our content director, revisited the idea of bringing in a community advisory council, a group of people from all walks of life, all political backgrounds, all that sort of thing, to at least give us as a station some additional community input as to where we need to go, what we need to be talking about, what sort of programming and other community involvement we can get into. So we just had our meeting uh, as of today, which is the 19th of September, and we got some good feedback on that. That's good. I thought it was fascinating because instead of just doing, limiting what you're doing to what the, quote, natural market is, you expand it. And we try to find out where new audiences are. And all, I think, talk radio whether it's WFLA and my good friend Preston Scott, who I've known for years, or uh, what we do on uh, WFSU, um, we gravitate towards an older target demographic, if we want to use a, a real technical media term there, which is older folks, generally 35, 45, even 55 years and up. Uh, and, and that's wonderful, and it's great, but the problem is it's self-limiting. These folks have a tendency to, shall we say, uh, exit the mortal coil at some point, and you need to bring in younger audiences. So how do you do that without alienating your core older audience? Right. That's the secret, and no one has really figured out that secret yet, but we're working on it, and we're going to try to get as close to uh, cracking that code as we can. Yeah, I'm, I feel a parallel in what we're doing because we don't just talk about people's money for retirement. And that's why we came up with the Secure Retirement Podcast and focusing in on different issues. You know, I've interviewed uh, physicians. I've interviewed uh, people, uh, retirees. We're talking about health issues, emotional issues. It's not just about your money. And it's the same thing with what you're doing. If you stick to just one topic, it gets old too. But there's more than just that one topic. So in our case, it's not just about how much money do you have in your IRA or your 401k or deferred comp or whatever retirement plan you've got. What are you going to do with the money when you're ready to retire? And how are you going to manage your health? Are you emotionally prepared to retire? I'm thinking of our interview just a week ago with a psychiatrist who spent a lot of time talking about, it's Larry Kubiak, in fact, talking about what you, or psychologists, I guess, what are you going to do when you retire and if you're not prepared emotionally? You may have all the money in the world, but if you're not ready to retire, what do you do? So I'm seeing a, a corollary in the sense that for you, it's not just one topic. It's not just the, the well-known people, if you will, what about the person that people don't know who they are, but they have a story to tell, right? Or people who, John, by the same token, and Larry Kubiak's a great guy. I've talked to him He's a, a great lot, guy. too. Yeah. We have so many commonalities. It's crazy. 
But the psychology of retirement being something that we are kind of programmed to aspire to for all of our working lives. Oh, I can't wait till I get away from the day-to-day grind. My sweetie and I are going to fly off to Bermuda or Israel or someplace, and it's going to be great. And I have seen particularly from my days at the phone company when I did all the retirement parties. I took pictures of these people where in the middle of their retirement party with all of their co-workers and even their family gathered around and there's cake and balloons and party favors and all, you can almost see the realization hits them. Tomorrow morning, all this goes away. My reason for being the expression of my existence, which was this job and all of my networking connections, my friends, everything I have to live for is gone. And so often those people would not last six months. I saw it over and over again. And so what you're doing here with the podcast and with your day-to-day consulting work with folks as they try to get a handle on, well, gee, how do I want these resources to work for me and my family and provide us with not only security, but maybe even a little bit of direction once we get out of the work-a-day world is is so valuable. And I really applaud you and uh, all your colleagues over here for that. Well, thank you for that. We take it very seriously that it's not just about your money. <clears throat> and now, you've got to have money. Let's, let's be candid. If you don't plan and save properly, uh, retirement won't be fun. But it's not just the money. It's the, are you healthy? And we'll, we'll come back to that in a moment because, um, as, as my uh, one of my good friends says, you're looking pretty good for a guy your age. So I'm going to talk about your what you're doing to maintain your health here in a minute. But let's go back to... Um, this advisory council for a minute. For anyone who's listening to this, if they have a topic that they think would be appropriate, is it okay for them to contact you and say, hey, we have this topic? How, what's the procedure for that? Oh, my gosh, by all means, John, and thank you for the, the opportunity to get this word out. We're always looking for good stories. Since we were little kids, Daddy, tell me a story. That's right. And that desire holds true throughout our entire lives. So if you are aware of something particularly, I put it in this category, good people doing good things. We need more of those kinds of stories today because we, we we focus on oh, all of the chaos here on the on the national political scene. And now I, regardless of where you're coming from politically, um, it can be difficult. It can be heart wrenching. It can be frustrating. All those other things. But really what takes place in Washington, D.C. does not have an immediate and profound impact on most of us, really. Mm -hmm. Um, We concentrate, therefore, in my newsroom on things that are going on kind of in our own backyard. And we want to hear about people that are doing those positive things things in their community, that inspiring young lives or helping senior citizens uh, get a better handle on what they're doing after retirement. Um, Oh, taking care of animals, whatever. And here's how you do that. You can go to WFSU.org. That's our website. And we do have a contact list down the bottom of our homepage. And you can hit that and the entire 
staff listing comes up and just look for Tom Flanagan. You can uh, click on my email. I think there's also a telephone number there. You can leave me a message and I'm obsessive about this stuff. I'll get back to you for sure. and I want to talk to you. There's no doubt about that. Tom does return phone calls, but also uh, those who know me personally, you want to call me or my office, we can also get you in touch with Tom. Uh, Thank you for that. Uh, Let's talk about, you talk about community. Let's talk about honor flight for a moment. We were talking about that over lunch. Um, I'm sure that you have interviewed people on your show talking about honor flight. And you've been involved from the standpoint of knowing what it is. Give me your perspective on honor flight, what it means to you, uh, and what your involvement has been. Well, the only great regret I have, John, is the fact that my dad, who served in World War II, He did not land on Iwo Jima, but he was aboard one of the huge tank-sized landing craft that uh, were anchored right off the beachhead there and offloading all of the war material and vehicles and troops and all that and under unrelenting fire from Mount Suribachi, uh, did not get an opportunity to take part in honor flight. He never got a chance, even though he was living in Western Maryland and uh, only 150 miles away from Washington, he did not get a chance to see the World War II Memorial in Washington. And uh, that would have been so much fun to be on the honor flight with my dad. But I think as as an ongoing tribute to these gentlemen and in the vast majority of cases, it was men who served during World War II and Korea, now heading into the Vietnam era and all, right. to show that uh, they still have a reason to be proud. And they are receiving, in many cases, for the first time, the honor due them, I think, is just a remarkable thing. And I applaud this so much. It's amazing to hear the stories. I've had the privilege of being on three of those flights. Uh, two as a guardian uh, for a veteran, looking out for them for the day, <clears throat> and then another where I was helping uh, Mac, uh, Mac Kemp, who's a local chairman of Honor Flight, uh, with uh, operations. And just hearing the stories and watching the interaction between the veterans with each other is just amazing. And I've had people say, well, why do you do that? Why, what's that got to do with your business or with your retirement planning? I said, are you kidding me? These are people, many of them on that plane, late 80s, some in their 90s, still going strong. I'm, I'm thinking of my friend Charles Nam, who I had the honor of being with. Uh, I think Charlie Nam's 92, still going strong, retired professor, great guy. And, and my friend Harry Grant, I know Harry is either 89 or 90. You know, they're driven to keep doing things. They don't want to just sit in front of a television and do nothing. You know, and what what if we live to be ninety five or hundred years old? You know, you want to be physically and mentally sharp. You know, and to me, being around people on involved with honor flight, I'm getting an opportunity to talk with people that you you love and you care about because you have so many common interests. You know, uh, I didn't. I was fortunate. I served in the Air Force and didn't have to do any battle. I worked on the airplanes, the B-52 bombers, uh, as a mechanic. But uh, I, I feel like, okay, I did a small part, but I didn't do what these guys did. And they should be recognized and honored. 
And we're seeing more and more women, by the way, on these flights, too. That is true. I noticed the last uh, the last <clears throat> group that went, there were more and more women. And, and we'll see that, too, because we have had more gender equity, yes. if not full equality, in the services now for the past couple of generations. So that's happening. That's true. True. All right. You said something earlier that caught my attention, and I want to uh, get you to share uh, <laughs> what you told me. When I ask you, <laughs> why do you do what you do? Tell our listeners what you told me. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I do what I do? Well, for, for two reasons. I am nosy, okay? <laughs> and that's by uh, probably growing up around adults. I, a small town in Western Maryland. Not a lot of kids my own age in the neighborhood. So I grew up with my mom and dad and their friends. And I always wanted to know what the grown-ups were doing. So it was time to go to bed, and Mom would shuffle me off into my room, but it was only right down the hall from the living room, and I'd sneak back in my jammies, and I'd <laughs> peek around the corner and see what all the grown-ups were up to and listen to the gossip and try to ascertain just what they were talking about. Um, but I'm also a gossip, so I would want to report that. And I didn't have anyone to report it to, so I had to sit on that. And maybe that's it. All this repressed desire on my part to just blab to the world is why I got into the news business, John. So that's why you got in. What keeps you there? Pretty much the same thing. <laughs> it is Fun. Just uh, you were talking about the advisory council this morning. We have a member of the Leon County Commission who sits on our council. And this individual, I'm not mentioning names, I'm not mentioning gender. There will be no identification here. We must protect our sources. This is an old journalistic tradition, as well as a point of ethics for us. But this individual took me aside and opened up an iPad and said, okay, here's a project that's going to be pitched to a particular uh, intergovernmental agency over the next several days. First time I'd ever heard of it. But it was one of these, okay, you didn't hear it from me, but this is coming. Be on the lookout for it. And luckily, I know some people to ask about it. So I can pull up the details on it, and I can do a story before anyone else can. And that, to me, is a major accomplishment. But in this era of fake news, let me hasten to add for the benefit of people who don't know how we do what we do in the legitimate news media business. I am not going to take anyone's word for anything. Got to verify. We are going to check a double and usually triple source any kind of information before it gets out on the air or online or on TV or anything else. We want to make sure we have the facts nailed down and we have confirmation before we move forward. So just a little, just because I know this stuff doesn't mean that you're going to hear about it. I have to go through the process of confirming, clarifying, making sure that when the information does get to you, it's solid. I appreciate you sharing that because more and more people that we talk with, they're more untrusting now than ever. They don't think they can trust politicians, the government in general, uh, corporations. They, they feel like, who can I trust? Who can I trust? And I love what Ronald Reagan always said, trust but verify. Trust, but verify. Doesn't matter. If you came to me and you said, I've got X amount of money in my IRA, I would say, that's very nice. Uh, let's look at the statement. We're going to verify. 
And I'm not kidding you. Daily, we'll have someone tell us emphatically, this is what I have. But you look at the statement, guess what? That's not what they have. They have more or less or something totally different. So it's the same thing for us. We want to verify because what we do, while it's not life or death, uh, it's about your money. And it's about making sure you, you have the money you need to have a good life later. So it's pretty serious stuff. So I, I share the same um, philosophy there. I don't have to be as detailed about some things as you do. Other things, i got to be more detailed because of the financial regulators that watch us to make sure we're doing it correctly. Yes, but there are, <clears throat> in your business, John, as you just elucidated, there are facts. There are incontrovertible one plus one equals two. And no matter where you're coming from on the political or the emotional or any other spectrum, that is still going to hold water. And it's got to be a touchstone that you can rely on. Otherwise, how can you make decisions about people's financial future and how they're going to be able to get through life after retirement and all that if you don't have all the facts from which to make these decisions? That's correct. One of the things that we harp on big time with our clients, what we call Team Curry here, is let's do our planning based on math and science. Let's do, don't do it based on what you think. Why don't we, we use some actuarial science here? How long are you going to live? Look at mortality tables. You're probably going to live 20 or 30 years in retirement. For some people, they'll live longer in retirement than they actually had in their career. So what do you do now? And so I said, let's, let's be scientific about this. Let's don't just say, well, my, my dad died at age 70. That means I'm going to die at 70. What if you live to be 100? We've got to do some planning. You know? Yeah, what, what is that old uh, disclaimer that we see on all of that past performance is no indicator of future results? That's right. <clears throat> That's right. Uh, the attorneys and the regulators make you say that, you know, and, and, but it's true. But it's true. I like to use the analogy, if you're driving down the road, do you want to use your big windshield in front of you or the small rearview mirror? I'd rather use a big windshield <laughs> look forward. But, but, but you'll never know where you've been. <laughs> That's true. That's why the little mirror is smaller. You can look at where you've been, remember it, but don't get hung up on it. Look at the future. Look at the future. Uh, tell us what you like best about your work. Uh, I really enjoy the people that I work with. And it's you talk about diversity. It covers not only racial diversity, but also age, background. Uh, if you believe in the Myers-Briggs philosophy of the world, you have some folks who are intuitive, some who are just as hard-nosed when it comes to, I have to have everything laid out in front of me before I'll even have an opinion. And we have that kind of diversity throughout the our organization, and I, I love working, especially with younger folks who come in as interns. Uh, they bring a freshness, a talk about a new approach. <laughs> Sometimes a little unrealistic approach, and you have to say, oh, well, let's uh, sit down and have a chat about this before we uh, take off in this direction or that. But they also bring a... Uh, a refreshing difference to our operation because no this may be the very first legislative session they've ever covered and to them it's exciting and it's new and someone who's been around the block like for maybe 30 of them like i have and you think ah 
seen it all. The speaker's going to say this. The Senate president's going to move in this direction or whatever. Sometimes they may be more on the button than the more experienced folks are. And that's always interesting. So it's fun to work together with folks who don't share your viewpoint, your perspective, your particular history. And I enjoy the heck out of that. I really do. I would guess that it keeps you feeling young, too, doesn't it? Oh, it really does. And that's the other great thing about being in a university town like this, John, is that for the same reason that many people through this new initiative that's out there right now, the um, Choose Tallahassee uh, thing, where we're trying to bring in more retirees to this community, particularly, should we say, more affluent retirees. I know that's part of the Chamber's deal and the real estate community and all. Yep. As they say, you can't do business with people who don't have any money. But by the same token, this is something that brings them to us, is the opportunity to be in a dynamic, growing, young community. We keep forgetting. We and Gainesville keep going back and forth as the youngest metropolitan areas in Florida year after year. That's changing slowly, right. but we're still younger than the average Florida city. It's exciting, too. Uh, my, my team, everybody around me is, um, well, not even half my age. And it keeps me going. And I have people around me that support what we do. Uh, they know far more about technology than I do. Uh, but, but it's great. We're a good, we're a good match. Synergy. Good fit. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, talk a little bit about, with the experience you have, uh, we talked earlier so I'm not speaking out of school here about his age. You're soon to be 69. You're at an age of when a lot of people would expect you and me, I'll be 66 in December, to, quote, retire. Uh, talk a little bit about why you're not ready to retire and all likelihood probably won't retire from what I have seen about you. But talk about your perspective of what retirement is. Retirement is the, the unrestrained ability to do whatever the heck you want to do. Um, that is the holy grail, I'm sure, in most people's minds, whether it's to travel the world, whether it's to, oh, I always wanted to mentor young people, oh, and you jump into a Big Brothers, Big Sisters program or whatever it might happen to be. It might be a total reinvention. Good buddy of mine, retired from the legendary Channel 10, WPLG in Miami, Art Carlson, legendary anchor down there for many, many years. And great journalist, awards out the yin-yang, what a guy. You know what he's doing right now? Well, he retired after a little stint in Tallahassee working for a nonprofit advocacy group. He moved to North Georgia up by the Tennessee border, and he got involved with a consortium of potters. And we're not talking medical marijuana. Here we are talking pottery, wheel-thrown pottery. Interesting. And this is what the mighty Mr. Art Carlson does right now. He sits at that wheel and he cranks out bowls and jugs and coffee cups and just about everything, day in and day out, and does magnificent work. And he is as happy as can be. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is retirement for him. He's probably working harder there than he ever did at Channel 10. But is he a happy guy? And if, if I could envision retirement, that's what I would do. I can't think of anything I enjoy doing more than what I'm doing right 
Now, so that kind of puts the kibosh on this for me. Yes. I'm in the same boat. I love what I do. I don't want to retire. The day will come probably because of health issues. Or I, I tell clients, if you get tired of me and you don't want to deal with me, I guess I, you've retired me. If enough people retire me, then I'm retired. <laughs> but as long as they they want to come in and meet, then I'm, I'm not retired. But what I have been doing, and I've, the people that I know that are happiest are doing something comparable. Instead of, quote, retiring and then dying like you're talking about your colleagues six months or a year later because they have no interest, start looking for interest today. Do those things today. Travel. Do something. So I take more time off. Last week I didn't work Monday or Friday. I'm trying to do more weeks like that. Work three days, then maybe work every day for a while and take two or three days off. And I find that if I can have a three- or a four-day weekend, I'm refreshed and ready to go. But the key is for people to find what's working for them. Now, for your friend, leaving the world he was in and just working with his hands was a way to go. Uh, I know people who retire, and they don't do any more work on a computer. I know people who don't even have a computer anymore. They'll just they'll use their smartphone. But they'll work with their hands. They do other things. Gardening, whatever. And it's fun. Mm-hmm. Or it can be something like, and this is another great advantage of this, of this town, John, when you have something like the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, the Ollie right. folks, because how many folks get to retirement age and think, oh, you know, when I was back in college, or perhaps you didn't go to college at all, and this had been an aspiration somewhere in the back of your cranium, I always wanted to learn about philosophy. Think, what in the name of God can you do with that? But if you have that luxury of being able to take the time to study philosophy without having tests and quizzes and grade point averages hanging over your head just for the sheer love of learning. How how neat is that? Yeah. Or art. Yeah, I, I love going to different art museums. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure out there at the TCC Foundation dinner that evening when they had the art show too, it was just fun to be there, just looking around, seeing stuff. Yeah, again, no test, no quiz. I'm just enjoying Just enjoying You made a comment uh, earlier, again, while we were having lunch, about the retirement advice your dad gave you. I would like you to share that, because one of the things we try to teach people is the importance of saving, planning, and not just hoping for retirement. Would you share what he shared with you? Oh, I'd be happy to, John. And I'm sure Dad's watching down right now and going, okay, now get it right. <laughs> um, my dad's small businessman in Western Maryland had a little store, totally undercapitalized. He never made much of anything out of it, but that was his life for a long time. But he, even though didn't have much. Excuse me, what kind of store? What did he do? It was a, a combination school and office supply store in this little community of fewer than 6,000 people. But we had a small college, ultimately a university branch of the University of Maryland. And so you had students and they always needed loosely paper or pens or whatever. And he also sold office furniture. So someone needs a file cabinet or a desk, they'd go and check out dad. He had some some stuff there. Or greeting cards. He got in the greeting card business too. But even though cash flow was not a um, an overwhelming attribute <laughs> of that enterprise, he advised always have a little something put away. 
And with him, I know it was little, damn little, but it was still something. And so when he'd have business reversals, there was a little something stashed away that would get him through the bad times. And I kind of took that to heart. So from the time I could work, I always had a bank account and then later on a retirement savings account. And I would usually opt for the the 401k when that became available through the employer because in most instances where I was, boy, was I fortunate and still am, the employer would kick in. Mm -hmm. And so it's not exactly doubling your money, but it's still nice to have that additional that's coming in. And so um, when I had a job reversal, which I alluded to earlier in our discussion and uh, lost a full-time income for 18 months, we had to live off of that retirement savings plan, and it got us through. Without it, I don't know what we would have done. We would have lost the house, the car, everything. Um, and now we're building back up again so that uh, if and when we do decide to retire, um, there will be something there. But I always made sure that there was something, and that was, I think, the best advice, that, among the best pieces of advice my dad left me. And it's still great advice. I think it's more important today in the world we live in than ever before. You look at what happened in 2008, the number of people who just lost their careers overnight. The mortgage business, mortgage lending, realtors. I mean, just like overnight, you know, and some people like to say they saw it coming, but most of them are full of bull. They didn't see it coming. Um, It's great to look back on it and predict (laughs) something that happened. But the people who had that reserve, took your dad's advice, had some savings, didn't spend everything, didn't overbuy too big of a house or too expensive a car and overload themselves with payments. They did just fine. And they're doing fine now. But the ones who really got in trouble, you know, they, they're, some of them are still hurting. So I think that was great advice your dad gave you then. It's great advice today, and I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, and uh, also what you do, if I can give in a plug for uh, your avocation, John, is this mantra that you keep preaching when it comes to financial diversity, because when something goes down, something else is usually going up. And if you don't have all of your fiscal eggs in one basket, you're much more likely to withstand whatever the vagarities of fate throw at you than if everything's all in that 401 or I don't know all these people who buy gold and then you see the volatility in the precious metals market you go are you insane <laughs> so anyway well people have different opinions you know and we have people who argue with us about different things and say look if that's working for you by all means do it but that doesn't mean just because you like it it should be for everyone you know I happen to love butter pecan ice cream but that doesn't mean that you'd like butter pecan ice cream. You might want just plain old vanilla, right? <laughs> and it doesn't mean that you have to sit there and eat uh, butter pecan ice cream by the gallon every night. Either. Well, what I learned that I didn't have to eat it all at one time, that's when I started releasing weight and went from a, t- a high of 282 <laughs> down to most of the time about 223, 225. Um, but I had a bad habit of thinking that just because it was in the freezer time, I had to eat it. <laughs> It's calling to you, John. <laughs> John, I'm here. Come get it. <laughs> All right. Uh, we got to close here in just a moment. But what are some of the things you'd like to make sure that people in our community know about Tom Flanagan? Uh, they can go to the website and read a little bit about you. But 
What are some of the things you'd like to end with of making sure they either know about you or WFSU? Just, you got a blank canvas. Anything you want to share? Oh, thank you, John. <clears throat> oh, biggest thing would probably be if we could get more people involved in the community where they live. This is one of my, another great Western Maryland term, bugaboo. Mm-hmm. Take that, Mom. That was one of her favorite phrases. Or aggravations, if you will, because we do get so hung up on uh, national politics and or even state, oh, who's going to win the governor's race? Oh, my God. And we agonize and we fuss and fight and fume and get all upset about this stuff. Another very wise man of my acquaintance said, if you are totally focused on yourself, you will be very unhappy because you will never live up to your own expectations. You will always let yourself down. So every time I'm feeling depressed, out of sorts, (laughs) upset, I try to think of somebody else that maybe I can, if not help them, at least interact with them in some way, shape, form, or fashion just to get outside of of myself, if we can get outside of ourselves, especially in the community where you can make a difference, a tangible difference, whether it's mentoring a child, maybe it's volunteering at the animal shelter, maybe it's whatever you're interested in that is outside of you. Get involved in a local political race, not national. Understand, not not even statewide, uh, a city or a county commission race, or you know, join the League of Women Voters. D- do something that is outside of that little eighteen-inch <clears throat> periphery that we call our personal space. And I think that's what makes me happy. And if I could just pass that along, I think there may be a few less really miserable people. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> If you do that. I keep that heart-shaped pillow over there to remind me that 10 years ago, July 10th, mm-hmm. 2008, because I had open-heart surgery. And I went through a period, when I'm honest about it, I was going through a period of depression. And when I would sit around the house and kind of like whine and moan, poor little me, I was going, I could sense this downward spiral. But when I got plugged back into going to my Rotary Club, going to some of the events where I see you, Economic Club, Tiger Bay, uh, Boy Scouts, especially with my son and, and grand, uh, grandsons, then it wasn't about me. I didn't think about me. But when I was sitting there, and it's the same thing with television. Uh, a few days ago, I was sitting and watching television, well, Saturday to be exact, and I was watching some of the news channels because I watch everything. I don't just pick one. I watch Fox, CNN, MSNBC. I go back and forth. My friends think I'm crazy for that. I said, well, I want to hear what other people say. I don't want to hear the same thing over and over from the same people. I wanted diversity. But when I focused on my little problems, I felt like I got more boxed in and depressed during that period of time. So I, I, I totally get what you're saying, and I would encourage anybody and everybody to listen to this. If you feel like that you're, you're not living life the way you want it, find one or two organizations that you care about and help. For, for me, it's Honor Flight, Boy Scouts, and my Rotary Club. Because I think those are organizations that do a lot of good. And I don't want to just work all the time. I could. I mean, I could stay here 24 hours a day if I just brought a bed in here. There's always something to do. But in your world, would you mind sharing with our audience some of the things that you do? 
how you're participating? Oh, one of the things that I do is to help my wife every way I can. Right now, I'm becoming close to being almost a full-time caregiver on top of everything else because my wife, who is now a double cancer survivor and pretty well incapacitated with arthritis, uh, needs a great deal of care every day. Uh, and that is, that is a focus. And I would do it anyway, but I get so much satisfaction from helping her that I really can't discount that as being an overall part of how I see myself in this big thing. But she's not so incapacitated that she doesn't say, look, I know you have to go to that meeting tonight. So anyway, before you go, could you rub my feet? Mm -hmm. And sure, honey. So we'll take care of that, and I'll see you in a couple hours. And then I'll sneak back to the side room where I have a little studio. I'm also fortunate in that regard. I can remote produce a lot of the material that folks hear on the radio side of the world nice. uh, from, from the house. So I don't have to be away from her any more than I absolutely have to. So that, that is a focus right there that, uh, that keeps me grounded. And then the rest, what we just talked about, John is to find some other things you're interested in doing and that you feel connected to and get you outside of yourself. Yeah, take time for yourself. I'm not saying become a monk, become some type <laughs> of a, a martyr that, oh, it's all for the world and nothing for me, yeah. because that isn't a good way to live either. That's not a good balance. But it's, it's important that we kind of see where we fit into this larger picture. And I think that's what I'm all about. Well, those of us who know you understand that you have a lot of love for what you do in this community. And it, it's just been a joy sitting here across the table from you. Uh, I, I can't believe we've been talking, I'm looking at that car 41 minutes. It seems like it's just been five minutes sitting here. And I wish we had the whole day, but I know you got things to do too. But Tom, thank you so much. John, thank you for the opportunity to chat with you. It's been a joy. Let's do it again sometime. Sounds good. If you would like to know more about John Curry Services, you can request a complimentary information package by visiting johnhcurry.com slash podcast. Again, that is johnhcurry.com slash podcast. Or you can call his office at 850-562-3000. Again, that is 850-562-3000. John H. Curry, Chartered Life Underwriter, Charter Financial Consultant, Accredited Estate Planner, Masters in Science and Financial Services, Certified in Long-Term Care. Registered Representative and Financial Advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. Securities, products, and services and advisory services are offered through Park Avenue Securities, a registered broker-dealer and investment advisor. Financial Representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is an indirect, wholly-owned subsidiary of Guardian. North Florida Financial Corporation is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities. Park Avenue Securities is a member of FINRA and SIPC. This material is intended for general public use. By providing this material, we are not undertaking to provide investment advice for any specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Please contact one of our financial professionals for guidance and information specific to your individual situation. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, or employees do not provide legal, tax, or accounting advice. Please consult with your attorney, accountant, and or tax advisor for advice concerning your particular circumstances, not affiliated with the Florida Retirement System. 
the living balance sheet and the living balance sheet logo are registered service marks of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. Copyright 2005 through 2018. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities or Guardian and opinions stated are their own.